Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, welcome to our Sunday School podcast where we take uh, each week's sermon and break it down a little further and talk about it, spend some additional time and discussion about it, and uh, if you are just joining us uh, and you have not listened to this last week's message yet, go to the episode before this uh, and listen to uh, that sermon, and then uh, what we do here will follow that, so... um, uh, be sure and have your Bibles if you're in a place where you can have those. And uh, for the, today's episode, we're going to be looking at Psalm 145 as we continue talking about our worship series, uh, All of Life is Worship, and really seeking to answer the question, why should we worship? Um, why, why is that something we should do? Uh, uh, last week focused on a discussion uh, answering the question, what is worship? defining what that is and just to rehash that a little bit uh, worship is simply the act of bowing in a submission or in t- uh, to the authority of another and uh, so this is something that's active it's not passive you can't worship passively um, which should be a kind of just generally uh, obvious thing but we want to make sure that we understand worship isn't something that we can just passively expect to take place. It's something we have to actively do. Uh, but it's wise for us to ask the question, why should we do this to begin with? So that's what we're, that's what we're talking about today. Um, so right off of uh, the top here, uh, the thing I want us to think through, and you can answer this wherever you're listening to this. You can answer this question without thinking too long about it. So don't think too long. What, uh, what are the top two practices that come to mind are the top two actions that come to mind when you hear the word worship? My first one, uh, it, this would have been different last week, but it's changed. My first one is obedience. Um, and I think my second one is probably probably worship through song. Okay. Yeah, my first two, when I think like off the cuff, it's uh, singing and prayer. And most of that's rooted because for mm, so long, that's when we think about a quote-unquote worship service, that's what generally we think of, worship and prayer. And we say worship meaning singing. That's a a lot of times (laughs) as far as it goes. Hey, join us in worship. And as instead of so doing, we've uh, uh, maybe unintentionally defined Worship as a whole as one piece. So now, all right, we we answer those questions. The follow-up to that is give a reason you believe the church should do these things. If you think the church should should practice these, whatever those were, um, why? Why should the church practice those things that we you first identify and say um, these are two actions or practices that come to mind when we think of worship? Well, I think that um, 
going back to what we say every week, unless you're reading your Bible, you really don't know what Correct. anything is and what it says. That's um, the easy answer. Yeah. And so, like that, and that goes to mine with, um, with worship through, um, what was the answer I gave? <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in a shambles. Obedience and song. Yeah, obedience. Yeah. So you can't be obedient unless you know how to be obedient. You can't know how to be obedient unless you read the Word of God. You can't know what God says about how to worship Him unless you read the Word of God. So it really all stems back to reading your Bible and, you know, what is the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does it mean to love with your mind? You you read God's word. You take that in. That's that spiritual food. And so that, to me, that's all of worship stems from first starting in God's word. Yeah. Well, and that's when I'm, I would say singing in prayer because the Bible says those are things we're supposed to do. Um, so that really is, it seems like a simple answer, but if we're going to walk in obedience to God's word, uh, then then that's not just a piece of it, that's all of it. So um, that's... See a, you next week. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, folks. Um, but where, where we intersect with Psalm 145 is really to seek to answer, uh, look, at, look at what David writes in this psalm. And seek to answer the question, how, how, how does this answer the question, why should we worship? And, uh, David identifies a lot of things here, just understanding this is a song that would have been written and sung. Um, there's so much here that we can, we can draw from. Um, and at the very beginning of that, uh, David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And and so those two verses, when you read them, should ask you should ask the question why why is he doing this? And verse three follows really closely with that. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Um, just that verse alone identifies the Lord is worthy. Uh, to be praised, he he is worthy of uh, praise, honor, worship, glory, uh, and then there's a statement: His greatness is unsearchable. Which I want to pause there a minute because uh, this is something that is hard for us to truly grasp because we're finite. And so, just that second half should bring a sense of humility. Because here's the reality: every one of us. Uh, cannot say that about ourselves or anyone else. Um, the amount of greatness, quote-unquote, that any human has is able to be understood. That is, if you are great because of your position or you're great because of your status or you're great because of your skill or ability, all of that is understandable. And here's here's the reality. There is someone else who is at at least equal in that greatness, quote-unquote, to you or greater if you want to go from worldly standards all the time it doesn't matter where you sit there, there's always someone who's right up there with you that can't be said about God there, there is no other um, Isaiah 55 says for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are my, your ways my ways declares the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts so there is this deep rooted reality that um, 
God is great in a way that is beyond comprehension of the human mind, which it doesn't take you long to look at. Psalm 19 says, All the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim His handiwork. Um, and that's just what we can see. <laughs> yeah. That gets me back to my main point of unless you open your Bible, you don't know any right. of these things. You know, in looking at 145, 8, and 9, um, where it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. How would you know that? I mean, sure, you can be like, well, yeah, so-and-so told me, or Pastor Matt in his sermon said that. Right. But what if Pastor Matt was wrong? What if he read something wrong? What if whoever told you that was wrong? You've got to be able to back it up. Now, of course, you're you're going to run into situations like that. I misquote scripture all the time. Um, everybody does. It happens. But unless you're verifying these things, and in the Word of God, you cannot know anything about what the attributes of God are. Right. And so there's a lot of implications there for opening up this psalm and figuring out worship. And it really just circles back to my emphasis on worshiping God begins with opening this book. Yeah. And and the really continuing in this frame of thought, why should we worship? All right, God's worthy of that. He his greatness extends beyond what we can even fathom or search. Um but as another another piece drawing out of eight and nine there is we're we are in need of mercy. Like God God is not in need of mercy or grace. In and of who he is, he doesn't he doesn't need approval from anyone. He doesn't need forgiveness. He doesn't need uh, his his actions are not wrong. Uh, therefore, in his worthiness being over all things, God's worthy of our of our worship of our praise. Um, why? Because in, even though he is worthy, we are unworthy. We are in need of. His gracious, merciful actions. We are in need of Him to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Um, I don't think we really think about what would happen if God was not those things. If if we didn't really stop to think about um, how would God's character be different if He was not gracious and merciful, if He was quick to anger and He was not loving, um, you you and I would not be here. We would not be having this conversation. Um, but the Lord is these things, and that should bring about this recognition of, uh, it's not everyone else who needs the grace and mercy of God. It's me. It's each and every one of us individually. Um, and many of us don't stop to really think of that through. Uh, we don't stop to think about, why does God need to be gracious and merciful? Um, why does he need to be slow to anger? Uh, and, and this, this even parallels with 2 Peter 3. The Lord's not slow as some count slowness, but is patient, desiring, uh, that, uh, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Um, we, we have to recognize that God's grace and mercy is, is required. Well, it's not even required. God has to be gracious and merciful because of our sin. Um, probably better worded, he's chosen to be gracious and merciful. He doesn't have to be. Uh, he's chosen to be gracious and merciful 
in light of our sin. And we are unworthy of that. That, that, that should be the, an answer to the question, why should we worship when we recognize who we are? And I, I, maybe, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I'm thinking, we would struggle to really understand a reason for worship if we don't first see the depravity of our sin. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, everything that we we look at, when we look at our sin and our sinful nature and how that goes against God and everything that He is, um, it definitely causes an outpouring of worship. And, and I don't think that without God's hand reaching down and pulling us from the depths of our sin we really probably wouldn't have that that need or reason to worship him the interesting thing is i think there would be the reason we just wouldn't see it because even even all creation declares the glory of god so his worthiness is not dependent on us being sinful but if if we don't see our error in contrast to God's holiness, then I don't. I think we will miss His worthiness. I, th- I think we will struggle to understand why. And the reason I bring this up is because I think that that is a piece of why people struggle to even be consistent in worship is because we don't consistently evaluate our unworthiness. Like it's easy for us to evaluate our unworthiness when we're hearing a sermon preached or uh, read a scripture passage that reminds us that we are dead in our sins and and brings us to a place of humility. But day to day, I honestly don't know that people think that often about their 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 own sinfulness. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and then taking that a step further, um, you know, in, in regards to worship and his... Is God worthy of worship beyond, you know, his rescuing of us? The answer would have to be yes, because mm-hmm. of reading in, like in Revelation, where the cherubim, that's all they sit there and do is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and, you know, all of all of heaven's always worshiping him. So I think, I think we miss a huge aspect of, even, even if God didn't save us, even if he was just like, you know what, you are damned in your sin, I'm, I'm done with this. I think he, even at that moment he's still worthy of worship because of the attributes of God and how he has created everything and he is different and apart from us in the sense that we are not God. So kind of in following this train of thought, we have in really verses 10 through 13 this evidence um, that even if we, if, even if we don't worship, creation does. So, <laughs> here's a humbling thought. Uh, God is not dependent on us to worship him or give him praise, the praise he is due, because creation does that naturally, because of God's place as the creator. All creation testifies to this. And we see this in verses, really verses 10 through 13. It says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. That's all your works. <laughs> Uh, and all your saints shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Verse 12 is gets me each time I read it because here's, here's the hard reality. Creation doesn't need anything to make known to it that God is great. But we are. And in fact, it is all of the works that God does that speaks of the glory of his kingdom and tells of his power so that the children of man would know these things. And so, uh, creation, (laughs) all of God's works, ultimately are done to bring glory to him. They, They draw back glory to him. And those things, there's, there's a, there's at least a piece of that intent which is to make us recognize that God's worthy of those things. And to, to, to respond accordingly. Yeah, and, um, looking even further in the Psalms, just a couple of Psalms later in 147, there's a lot of, you know, what we're talking about is, is kind of being summarized there. Um, where where creation is mentioned and where how how praise and worship is fitting, um, <clears throat> I see like in verse uh, eight of one forty seven where it says he covers the heavens with clouds he prepares rain for the earth he makes grass grow on the hills and it just keeps going on like what what God does for creation but creation hasn't done anything besides man to sin against God so that's just some food for thought there. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and, and Romans eight would even identify and go. Creation was subject not willingly, but by him who subjected it in hope, and ultimately creation suffering as the result of our sin. So this <laughs> it still comes back to our, our sinfulness. Uh, so often uh, we are prone to not worship God because we blame God, and yet we're the ones to blame. That there there is a a, a turning point that has to take place uh, where where we see that the sinfulness around us is a result of of us, not the result of God. And when we see that clearly, that should motivate us into worship. That, that should motivate us. Now, there's going to be people who reject that. There, there will be people who reject God, the existence of God at all. Uh, or their idea of God is completely contrary to this, um, and in some in some circles, uh, the idea of God is that He is vindictive, and He is manipulative, uh, and and that He does these things to pleasure Himself. That the suffering of man brings Him pleasure. That that, that is anti-biblical. <laughs> but what's funny is even if it was true. He's justified to do so. Right. He created everything. Right. You know, but it's just, that's just not the case. And and we see that clearly by ha- by what? By reading your right, Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Again. I can't get off of that. It's okay. That's what, And that's ultimately the only way we're going to really truly answer these questions about worship, about prayer, about any, any of these subjects of discussion is by going to Scripture. And if we strive to define those outside of that, then you can bet that you're going to end up defining those according to your own perceptions and your own emotions, not according to some rooted truth. Yeah. And like we see in uh, 147, 
10, 10 and 11, you know, the, obviously God does not delight in this, you know, sinful state of man. It says right here, his delight is not the strength of the horse, nor is his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Well, I mean, that that right there just defeats the whole question of, oh, God's vindictive and God's just this manipulative little guy up on, up on the cloud just watching us. It's, it's totally the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. So the kind of the second half of this um, in Psalm 145, we see we see a shift here in, in answer to the question, why should we worship? We see the, a description and a reflection upon the sustaining power of the Lord, of God's sustaining power. And this should bring us to a place of, just as before, recognizing God's worthy of our worship and praise, we are unworthy of his grace and mercy. Now we shift that tone to uh, he sustains all things and we are part of the created order that needs sustained and we should recognize this every time we get hungry every time we yawn or recognize our need for rest every time we're faced with illness or ailment every time that we are uh, uh, overwhelmed or stressed those are all symptoms of being finite. <laughs> Those are all symptoms of not being uh, the ultimate one in control. And and you see that because if you are in control of all things, you are never out of control. And yet many people strive to be in that seat of, I'm in control. Uh, and that goes back to the first temptation in the garden. You eat of this fruit and you will be like God. Uh, and and I w- I argue that ever since the fall of man, we've been trying to be God ever since. That throughout all of Scripture, throughout current day, that is what people are striving to be. We want to be God of our own life. Only problem with that, well, there's many problems with that, but a big problem with that is uh, you have to sleep. Uh, you have to depend on nourishment. Uh, you have to. Uh, rely upon health and uh, your physical body deteriorates. Uh, None of those things apply to God. And if they did, he would not be God. This is where the circle's around. Our need for sustaining power, something to sustain us, to energize us, to feed us, our need for that ultimately exempts us from any qualification of being God. God is not dependent on any of these things. He's worthy of our worship because He is the one who provides that sustenance. And the amazing truth in this is He provides that to those who 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 seek to walk with Him and those who reject Him. He still provides that sustenance. He could just snap His fingers and end them. But he chooses not to. Why? It goes back to what we stated before. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Um, why should we worship? Because God is the sustainer of all things. And he's chosen to reveal, once again, his mercy and grace through sustaining power. And we see that described. The Lord upholds all who are falling. 
He raises up all who are bowed down. That's verse 14. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. We could go there to Matthew 6 and emphasize Jesus uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't store up in barns or storehouses and yet God provides for them. Um, look at the flowers of the field. that they, God clothes them. They've like, why do you, and, and the, the, the end of that lesson is, don't worry about these things. Uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Uh, the promise being there, uh, your greatest need is not a tangible physical need. Uh, that's your sustaining need, but your greatest need is the one who sustains. <laughs> I very much like verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, and then it's, Got a little addendum there. To all who call on him in truth. Yeah. So this, this is going back again several podcasts ago to God's not a genie in a bottle. Yep. And well, what is truth? What does that look like? How do you call on God in truth? Well, if you read your Bible, it'll teach you that. And, yep. you know, we did the when you did the whole series on prayer and what that looks like. That you know, all of this really just ties together. Everything stems into a flowing stream leading to Christ. Right. That's the the end focal point. Um, that's the that's the goal. That's the the overall vision that we should have is how do we get to that point? Right. Yeah. And and in the scope of this, I mean, even even going past verse eighteen to verse nineteen, uh, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And we think of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, <clears throat> he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And this even carries into uh, what we see in, in, the new, in the New Covenant, which is given in Christ. Um, <clears throat> uh, Jesus said... Uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it's not it's not enough. When we read something like that, the temptation of people is to take a passage like verse 20 and go, oh, I love God. I'm, I'm so in love with God. He's so good. But we don't actually walk that way. And we're going to talk more about that uh, next week when we answer, seek the answer to the question, how, should, how do we worship? How should we worship? But uh, you cannot separate the two. You cannot claim to love God and walk in disobedience to him. Um, now that, that this doesn't mean that there's not going to be times where we fail, where we where we falter, but the person who recognizes their unworthiness before God, that's what leads to confession and repentance, going, God, I know I'm unworthy of this and I'm regretting my choice to sin. I'm regretting these deep rooted issues that I'm struggling with. Um but you cannot live a life contrary to what God has called you to a willfully willfully walking in that on a consistent basis and say, I love God. Um, that would be like, uh, well, we see, it ex- we see it exemplified in Hosea, where <laughs> the Lord gives probably the most practical example of this when he tells Hosea to uh, marry a prostitute who's going to be unfaithful. And the, it's, a, it's an example of God continuing to be faithful even though Israel was just consistently unfaithful. Um, and we would we would scoff at the idea of someone who's in a marriage relationship and their spouse continues to be unfaithful to them, but then the spouse who is unfaithful comes back and says, Oh, but I love you. I love you so much. But but 
There's no change in that. They just they they say their words declare something that their actions and their heart intentions reveal is not true. And so, do we expect the Lord to preserve us and to ultimately even bless what's going on in our lives if we're choosing to walk contrary to Him uh, and contrary to what He has said? Um, but rather, verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Uh, do we walk in that? Uh, God's worthy of our worship because he sustains our lives even when we're not walking in this way. But understand that that sustaining does have a limit. And that limit is when you no longer have breath in your lungs, then you then your opportunity to fear the Lord and follow after him ceases uh, yeah, I I don't have much more to say on that. <laughs> uh, if you have a cross-reference Bible, um, I saw in uh, verse 18, right before it says, in truth, there's there's a little notation, and it's tying that to John 4, 23, uh, where it says, but the hour is coming in is now here when the true worshiper, bleh, excuse me, the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yeah. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And so, again, this just ties back into my further <laughs> ranting that you need to read your Bible over and over and over again. Yeah. I just can't get off that. No, well, That's like I think, my biggest hang I think at the end of the day, how we answer this question, again, is we have to know what Scripture says. Um, and that's what this is about. Um, the kind of the final thing we talked about on Sunday in regards to this was uh, in verse 13, we recognize, if we go back to that, that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And and so the, the third reason emphasized in Psalm 145 why we should worship is because God is eternal. He is outside of time and space. He, he holds all things together. And... Uh, we are not that way. Um, Psalm 102, it says, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Um, Isaiah 40, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. There we return back to that idea of who God is. Um, Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then even Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I've got nothing other than, I just want to state again, read your Bible. (laughs) (laughs) That's just like... That's been so big lately. Like, it seems like, seriously, like, over this last week, every conversation I've had with, like, anybody on anything with religion or theology, it's come back to, have you not been reading your Bible? It, this conversation would have been completely unnecessary had you just read that. Or, quit reading your Bible out of context. Yes. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. It's not about Matt. The Bible is about Jesus. Surprise and surprise, it's it's not just about God the Father, it's all really about Jesus. It points to Jesus, every single aspect of it. Genesis to Malachi, 
is basically a big, long section of Jesus is coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a big section of Jesus is here. He's on earth. And then we get Acts through Revelation. Jesus is coming back. These are realities and facts that you need to burn into your mind. Read your Bible. Yeah. Caden, out. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I've got. <laughs> so kind of in summary on this, why should we worship the, the eternal God of the world, perfectly holy, worthy, sustainer of all things, has made himself known to you. He has not struck you down in your sin, but instead has made a way for you to be with him. And that way is Christ. That way is through Jesus. And God is worthy of our worship, even if he had not done that. But even more so, in light of what he has done, he is worthy of everything that we have. Not just our songs on Sunday, not just our idea of what worship is, but everything. This is where it intersects with when we uh, understand who God has revealed himself to be, all of life becomes worship. So, uh, what what does your worship uh, reveal about who you see God to be? Uh, and uh, who who are you going to share these things with? Those were two questions, kind of an application that we talked about Sunday. And I just want to reiterate to you again, um, really thinking about what does your definition and idea of worship and why we should do that uh, reveal about who God is. What 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 does that look like? Um, so, uh, if you're struggling with these things, or you're struggling even with the beginning of that and answering the question, um, "Who is Jesus?" and "How do I become in right relationship uh, with God the Father?" Uh, we want we want to be able to walk with you on that. So, uh, get a hold of us, email us, office at cantonefree.com. Let us know. Um, we would love to navigate this with you. Uh, if you are someone who's listening to this and you want to uh, strategically pass this on to other people and grow in that, let us know. Okay, This isn't just for those of you who might not know where you sit in relationship to uh, God and his sovereignty and how that affects who we are and what we should do. Uh, but maybe you're just wrestling with, I believe these things, but I'm seeking to learn how to walk in them faithfully. And we want to help resource you in that way as well. So... Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to call this week a wrap. Father, thank you for your grace and your faithfulness. Thank you that you are, uh, Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, we're undeserving of that. And so today, may you motivate us to worship in light of these truths. And may it not just be today, but every day, to recognize your sustaining power and your magnificence, your glory that extends far beyond what we could ever fathom in and of ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.